Tracy McCauley. I'm Nathan Wayne. And I'm Liz Wong. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. And welcome to CardioScripts, a cardiology podcast brought to you in collaboration with the ACCP Cardiology Practice and Research Network. Today on CardioScripts, we are joined by Dr. Ricky Turgeon. Ricky is a cardiovascular pharmacist practicing in PharmHF, a pharmacist-led heart failure medication optimization clinic in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. He spends the majority of his time doing clinical cardiovascular research and is currently focusing on developing shared decision-making tools and the role of pharmacist in heart failure management. We're so excited to have him on the show today to talk about the time trial. Ricky, I can't wait to get into this discussion. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with this. As I mentioned, we'll be talking about the time trial. This was a trial that came out in Lancet in 2022. And you may be asking, well, why are we talking about the time trial? That's so 2022. But we're talking about it, one, because it answers an interesting clinical question. But some of the background literature behind the time trial, there's some interesting points to bring up as well. And so we thought it'd be a great trial to discuss, and we have the perfect guest to discuss it with us here today. And so the purpose of the time trial was to assess, is there a difference in cardiovascular outcomes between patients taking antihypertensive medications in the morning versus the evening? This was a prospective, randomized, open-label, blinded endpoint trial. It was controlled, parallel group, pragmatic, and a superiority trial as well. And patients and investigators were not masked to group allocation. And this was a decentralized trial, meaning that essentially, for the most part, all study activities should be able to be undertaken in or near a patient's home. And so patients were randomized in a one-to-one fashion to the morning group where they were taking their antihypertensives between 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. or the evening group where they were taking their antihypertensives between 8 p.m. and midnight. And if patients were randomized to the evening group and they were taking diuretics, they could move that diuretic dosing time to 6 p.m. if they were experiencing persistent nocturia. And if they continue to experience that, they could then move that diuretic dose to the morning if they needed to. Patients received online follow-up questionnaires one month after randomization and then every three months after. And on those questionnaires, they were asked if they were taking their antihypertensives as assigned in terms of timing and if there are any events of interest since their last follow-up submission. Investigators also requested national hospitalization and death data as well, so access to that system within the UK. Patients with home blood pressure monitor were invited to take their blood pressure at home in both the morning and the evening at three-month intervals throughout the study, and then they were able to upload those readings online. Patients were included if they were 18 years or older, they had hypertension diagnosis, they were taking at least one antihypertensive medication, and they had a valid email address for investigators to reach them. Patients were excluded if they had regular overnight shift work or if they were taking antihypertensive medications at more than one dosing time daily. Their primary outcome was a composite of vascular death or hospitalization for non-fatal MI or non-fatal stroke. So let's jump into the results. What did they find? They had 21,104 patients that were enrolled and randomly assigned to either the morning or evening group, so roughly 10,500 patients per group. And the median follow-up time was 5.2 years. In terms of baseline characteristics, the mean age was 65 years, about 43% were female, 
This study was conducted in the UK. About 88% of patients who were included were from England. 90% were white. Between 0.4 to 0.5% were Black, African, Caribbean, or Black British. About 4% were current smokers and 57% never smokers. And the mean baseline systolic and diastolic blood pressures was 135 over 79 millimeters of mercury. And about 13% had a history of evidence of cardiovascular disease. And that included angina, MI, TIA or stroke, and peripheral vascular disease. And at baseline, patients were on about 1.5 antihypertensive meds. So somewhere around one or two. In terms of withdrawal, 11.6% of patients withdrew from the active questionnaire-based follow-up. More withdrew in the evening group versus the morning group, so 62.7% versus 37.3% respectively. 5% of participants and 3% in the evening and morning groups respectively withdrew consent to access record-linked data and medical records. In terms of adherence, 69.3% of participants reported adherence to their assigned dosing time and 30.7% non-adherence. And then in terms of the non-adherence, the differences between the groups, more non-adherence was reported in the evening group versus the morning group at 39% versus 22.5% respectively. In terms of baseline antihypertensive meds, about 47% were on an ACE inhibitor, 24% on an ARB, 38% on a calcium channel blocker, about 20% on a thiazide and related diuretic, about 9% on a beta blocker, 5% on an alpha blocker. In terms of the primary outcome, it occurred in 3.4% of those in the evening dose group and 3.7% of those in the morning dose group with a hazard ratio of 0.95 and a 95% confidence interval of 0.83 to 1.1. For vascular death, that occurred in 1.1% and 1% of those in the evening and morning groups, respectively, with a hazard ratio of 1.1 and a 95% confidence interval of 0.84 to 1.43. And then for hospitalization for non-fatal MI, that occurred in 1.3% versus 1.4% of those in the evening and morning dose groups, with a hazard ratio of 0.92 and a 95% confidence interval of 0.73 to 1.16. When you looked at safety outcomes, they found more dizziness and lightheadedness in the morning dose group and more excessive visits to the toilet during the day or night in the evening dose group. And then finally, from a blood pressure finding standpoint, there are about 7,600 patients who reported blood pressure measurements at home. And what they found in the evening dose group, when they compared the evening dose group to the morning dose group, blood pressure was lower in the morning in the evening dose group and then higher in the evening compared to the morning dose group. And then it was it was vice versa. So higher blood pressure in the morning in the morning dose group, and then lower blood pressure in the evening. So that is a brief overview or snippet of the time trial. But we'll turn it back over to Ricky. And my first question for you is just taking a step back. Why have we been asking this question about the timing of blood pressure meds? I mean, what is the proposed benefit or the theoretical benefit for taking perhaps antihypertensive meds in the evening versus the morning? Yeah, that's a great question. It really boils down to a lot of the observational studies that have been done sort of leading up to this, and then some randomized controlled trials I'm sure we'll get into. But you know, essentially over the years, we've identified that uh, ambulatory blood pressure tends to be more predictive of cardiovascular risk than office blood pressures or even spot blood pressures done at home. And in particular, nighttime or asleep blood pressure 
is more predictive of cardiovascular events than blood pressure taken the day or in particular taken uh, while people are awake. And so one of the other observations around that is that naturally following a circadian rhythm, your blood pressure should go down while you're sleeping. Uh, in theory, you know, sympathetic system being sort of you're, you're sleeping, so that's less active. So all of that thing stuff should go down. And so there's this concept of dipping where people's blood pressure should dip at bedtime. And if it doesn't, um, at bedtime, I mean, while sleeping, um, but if it doesn't, um, then those people are at higher risk of cardiovascular disease. There's different cutoffs, 10% as a decrease in blood pressure at night is, is thought to be a dipping pattern. Those are all association, but we know that just because an exposure is a is a, a risk factor is associated with harm that correcting that might not necessarily impact it. So there have been randomized controlled trials done before time, and time is also addressing that, looking to see if we can artificially make people dippers, get their blood pressure lower at night, can we lower cardiovascular events? Nice. Thanks for that explanation, Ricky. So you alluded to some previous trials that have been conducted before time. Uh, could you could you touch on these kind of talk about these specifically, maybe Hygieia and Mapec, because uh, they've looked at the timing of blood pressure meds as well. And if you could maybe even touch on some of the questions that stem from these trials and maybe even some of the controversy as well. Yeah. So I guess there's a few things there. So there's there's multiple trials that have looked at the effect of changing the timing of blood pressure meds and the effect on blood pressure. Of course, that's a surrogate. That's a biomarker. What's more interesting and important is you know, how does that lead to, or how does that affect cardiovascular events? Um, so Hygieia and MAPEC, or MAPEC, were two uh, randomized control trials done out of Spain, actually by the same group in Spain that sort of answered uh, or looked at a similar question to trial. Uh, MAPEC came out in 2010. Uh, it was about a 2,000 patient trial over 5.6 years. And that trial uh, is probably what stemmed most of the interest in this because that was a trial that identified a pretty steep reduction in cardiovascular events with just taking blood pressure medications at night instead of in the morning. And it was a bit too, seemed a bit too good to be true in a relative scale is about a 75% relative risk re reduction above and beyond just taking your blood pressure meds is just switching the timing. And so the same group followed up on that trial with uh, what they called the Hygieia chronotherapy trial, uh, which was published in 2019, I believe, 2020. Can't remember the exact year. Um, but they followed up with this trial and a much larger study. So multi-center trial done out of multiple centers, again, still in Spain. And this trial had about 19,000 patients diagnosed with hypertension using ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. I'm going to essentially follow that same sort of intervention, allocating patients taking all of their blood pressure medications uh, at bedtime compared to taking it in the morning. And this trial also found a pretty steep reduction in cardiovascular events with taking the medications at nighttime or bedtime instead of in the morning. It's about a 50% uh, or 45%, uh, I should say, relative risk reduction, which translated to a 5.4 absolute risk reduction cardiovascular events over the median fall time of 6.3 years, which is a giant risk reduction. It's more than what you get from meds versus no meds for hypertension. But there's a lot of controversy tied to that trial. And in particular, some colleagues and I kind of wrote about this and plenty of international hypertension experts wrote about this over the last couple of years after Hygieia came out. I'll just highlight maybe the top three or four big problems about this trial. One of them is that this reduction in cardiovascular events um, was also tied to a reduction in all-cause mortality, which would be fantastic if true, 
But interestingly, it wasn't all driven by cardiovascular events. There was also a large relative reduction in non-cardiovascular events with switch to nighttime dosing, which is, you know, non-cardiovascular events, non-cardiovascular death certainly is not reduced with taking blood pressure meds or controlling hypertension compared to not controlling hypertension or not taking blood pressure meds. We even looked back to see, you know, an old Cochrane review to see if in the totality of evidence, there was even a signal of this and there definitely was not. Um, but ultimately, some of the, the key issues around this trial, the fact that even though it's called a randomized control trial, at least once, that's pretty much um, all that's alluded to in terms of this being a randomized trial. And there's many reasons to believe why it wasn't, including this uh, large reduction in events that um, that otherwise was not seen in time. But there's a lot of issues with reporting in terms of you know, what the sequence generation for randomization was, how did they conceal allocation, and some of these other things. So there's a lot of things that weren't reported that lead to a lot of questions around that. And I guess just to touch on a few other limitations with Hygieia, and these are also all very true for MAPIC as well, the rate of loss to follow-up and adverse events in this trial are unprecedentedly low compared to other antihypertension trials. So just to give you a sense of that, only about 3% of patients in this trial reported non-adherence to their blood pressure meds, which is substantially lower than the 22 to 39% seen in time. And it's also much lower even than in the all-hat trial and in other less pragmatic, more experimental randomized control trials that are very strict about adherence. And we know that non-adherence to cardiovascular meds in the long term is a huge problem. You know, half of patients don't take their cardiovascular medications in the long term. So it's just that a lot of things don't add up in terms of the reporting of some of these other endpoints. Well, Ricky, thank you for walking us through those trials and some questions about those trials. I think this is an excellent example of you know, why it's so important for us within the healthcare world to really uh, evaluate what we're reading and make sure things are lining up, at least how they're, they're presented. So thank you for that. And then you mentioned the editorial, the commentary that have been published. We'll have that citation on our CardioScripts website as well. It's a a great paper to walk through, kind of outlines what you just walked through. So we'll have that for listeners to to refer to. So I think that is a great lead up to talking about the time trial then. So Ricky, what were your overall thoughts about the time trial? Yeah, I think to, to me, the time trial is one of the most straightforward studies. I mean, it has an interesting, very sort of pragmatic design, very patient focus in terms of being easy to do and to, to sort of accomplish and follow through with. And it's a very patient-centered question, right? If something as simple as changing the time of day of your meds could impact your outcomes, that's something that's very motivating for, for patients to want to know about and also to get enrolled in. But I think it gives us a very definitive answer. Uh, that's one of the sort of tightest confidence intervals that you can see for a cardiovascular trial with, you know, the 21,000 patients in this study. So to me, this is a well-designed, well-conducted, and very well-reported trial that gives us a very definitive answer that obviously contradicts some of those prior trials like Hygieia, but I think this provides a very robust answer to that question. And so after walking through all this literature, evaluating it as well, the strengths of the methodology, et cetera, how, if at all, does all of this impact your pharmacological management of patients with hypertension? The authors of the time trial actually said it best. I think they have a very cheeky Briticism in, in their conclusions. And I don't re usually read authors' conclusions, but I thought this one was fantastic. So if you'll let me, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of reiterate it because I think it, it tells the point. So taking medications in the evening was not harmful, provided no additional benefit versus morning dosing. Therefore, 
Patients should be advised that they need not change their antihypertensive medication dosing time, but might choose to take their medications at a time that suits them best because the timing makes no difference in cardiovascular events. I, I love that to me because that expresses the sort of um, autonomy that patients can have in terms of their dosing timing. Certainly we tend to default to morning, but if it works best for them, take it at nighttime, that's great too. And you pointed out at some subtle differences in terms of some of the adverse events that patients experience. So that's a great thing to be able to talk to patients about and let them choose and give them an opportunity for that sort of shared decision making. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit right on it. The patient really has to be has to buy in or be invested to to every aspect of the plan. Um, and there's times that you just separate things out throughout the day too, if that works best for them from a side effect standpoint. Some of my patients take some of their antihypertensives at, at noon or midday, which works for them. And, and that's great. Same for me here. So it really just comes kind of down to the patient, patient preference, and what's going to help them best be adherent to, to that hypertension regimen to help prevent some of these outcomes that we've talked about. Awesome. Well, Ricky, any final takeaways for our audience in terms of the time trial, lit eval, or just hypertension management in general? It's a pretty broad uh, question. I love it. No, I've got a couple key things. I mean, I, I would break it down in terms of the pre-time evidence and then the time trial itself. So, you know, again, highlighting the Hygia trial and the MAPEC trial, because these are the things that preceded what we had from time. But um, when you're when you're seeing study results, especially if you're reading the abstract, you're reading a conclusion, uh, if you're seeing something that seems too good to be true, then that's probably worth your time and actually reading through. Um, I always tell my learners, don't be cynical, but do be skeptical and, and dig into the evidence. And when you're doing that, so when you're actually appraising those studies, what they don't say is pretty much as, as important as what they do say. So some of those prior studies, you know, they, they had some overt limitations in terms of the open label design, which is true for time as well. But there's a lot of things that were left unsaid that are really quite important to know. And so in those cases, I like to think about worst case, best case scenario, how could this influence the results? But then we get something like time, which is, you know, diametrically opposed to the results of, you know, Hygieia and MAPEC in previous literature. And so I think that's an important point of, you know, independent replication of study results is sort of the gold standard in science, right? You want other independent investigators to find the same thing, or at least to investigate it and to explore for any differences. And I think that's, a, that's the case here where you, you don't get that replication. And so that should lead you to question uh, even more what was seen uh, before. Awesome. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on Cardioscripts. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Cardioscripts. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Cardioscripts and check out our website at Cardioscripts.com. The views and opinions are those of the individuals on today's episode. The ACCP Cardiology PRN is not responsible for the presented content or its accuracy.